In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Just get a quick reminder. So Daniel, in chapter 9, he prayed to God and he asked him to reveal to him what will happen to Israel, what will happen to the people of Israel when they will go back. And we saw that after he fasted and after he humbled himself, confessed his sins, confessed the sins of the people, what happened was God sent to him Gabriel. And we said that Daniel is the only prophet in the Old Testament that God has given him the exact timing of the return of uh, the Jewish people to Israel. But not only this, he gave him the exact timing of the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave him the period of the last, the period of the Antichrist. Now, two years later, some of Israel started going, some of the Jews started going back to Israel. So two years later, Daniel was still concerned with the people of Israel. He hears the news that some people went back, but there's a lot of difficulties of them building the temple. So what he does, he fasts for three weeks, and we said his diet was most likely bread and water. He was mourning. He was praying. We said most likely he was outside Babylon. And he was almost in a retreat. And at this point, Daniel is almost over 80 years old. And over years, 80 years old, he is mourning for his own people. He became, he reached a point where he became so selfless. And by the way, this is one of the signs of the work of the, the Holy Spirit working in us is that we start becoming selfless and become very concerned with other people more than ourselves. So Daniel started, ask, started praying, asking to know what's happening. Then Gabriel came to him, and, uh, and after he saw the angel, he saw our Lord Jesus Christ. And after he saw our Lord Jesus Christ, he fell on the floor, he could not breathe. He was very tired, he was very weakened because of the awesomeness of the vision. And then a hand touched him and raised him up. And verse 12 says, Then he said to me, Do not fear Daniel, for, my, for, for from the first day you were set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before the Lord, before your God, your word were heard, and I have come because of your word. So the angel, most likely Gabriel, told him, Just from the moment you started praying, I was coming to you. The heaven itself could not just stand you humbling yourself and looking looking in tears in front of God. It's almost like when God says, turn away your eyes from me because they have prevailed over me. The eyes of Daniel, when they pray, they shake the heavens. Now, we'll continue from verse 13 and see what happens. This is the angel Gabriel, most likely Gabriel talking to uh, to Daniel. He told him, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and beheld Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. What, what's happening? Gabriel, in verse 12, he's telling him, once you prayed, I was on my way to you. But something happened, delayed me. What delayed you? He told him, the prince of the king of Persia. Who is the prince of the king of Persia? It's not a human being. 
He's talking here about the devil. He's talking here about what? The devil. The opposing power of the angels of God. The opposing power of what? Of the angels of God. So he's telling him that I was going to come to you, but there is a de demon, there is a devil who's fighting in Persia, who's fighting the king, trying to interrupt the plans of God. And the warfare was so huge, so strong, so strong, that Gabriel waited for Michael, the angel, to come and help him. Okay? You guys know Persia was in that point in controlling of the whole world. So the demon is trying to make a lot of evil decisions for the whole world. And also, the angels of the Lord are working. The angels of the Lord are also working to try to fulfill the purpose of God. Obviously, God could intervene at any moment, but he's given the demons the freedom to act within a certain space. Just he's given the human being the freedom to, uh, to, uh, to act in a, different, in a certain place. Obviously, when he's saying, I needed help from Michael, it, it, it kind of reflects two things. One, Gabriel as an angel, his main, his main task as an archangel is to, is to announce the good news. Michael is the warrior. He's the fighter. Okay? So there is also every angel. It's very organized. Every angel has a rule. And the word Michael, by the way, means who is like God. He is the most powerful angel and the most important angel in, in, in the Bible. And he's the one who's going to defeat Satan as we see this in the book of Revelation. So, here we see that Michael had helped Gabriel to have victory. And then after he helped him, Gabriel became able to move on in his journey to come to talk to Daniel. You know, a lot of times we do not understand all the warfare that's happening behind us. I, I probably, when I was reading this passage, I said, well, how many demons are at the White House and how many angels are at the White House trying to affect every decision? And that's why in the church, we always pray for the peace. We always pray for the president because there's constant warfare against them, and the constant eh, warfare against them. Michael, by the way, is mentioned in so many places in the scripture. He's mentioned in Daniel, in Jude, and Revelation, and he is obviously the chief priest, the chief, the chief, one of the chief angels. And he was, he had a special task of being the the, the angel who is supportive or protective of Israel. Be careful because as we read these passages, we will see that there are so many events that's happening all over the world, but the main focus comes back to Israel. Why? Because Israel represents the people of God. And at some point, they seem so insignificant relative to all the important events that's happening. But all what heaven is doing is working for the sake of people of God. This passage tells us that angels are real. And there are good angels and bad angels. There are the devil and there are good angels. 
And angels can impact the, the, the work of human. And you guys remember in Ephesians 6.12, what does it say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we're actually, our actual war is not with human being. It's with the devil who's trying, it, trying to fight us. So if you think about it, why is, why, is the, why is the Satan intervening in Persia? Because Satan does not want Israel to be rebuilt. Satan is aware of the prophecies that are happening in the Old Testament. He's aware that when Israel is built, the Messiah will come, the first coming of Jesus. So he's trying as much as he can to delay the work of God. He's trying to cause more evil. He's trying to take a lot more people astray. That's what he's trying to do. But we will see how does God work in very subtle things. Verse 14. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in later days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. He's telling him, I'm coming to tell you all the historical details of what's going to happen to the people of Israel. Of all what's going to happen to come. Okay? And it's actually, you'll be fascinated by the details of historical events that Gabriel will give to Daniel. When he had spoken such words to me, when Gabriel spoke to me these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Remember Daniel, he saw our Lord Jesus. He lost all his energy. And then he was touched to have some strength. Now when Gabriel told him, I just came, I was fighting the devil for 21 days, I had to bring Michael to help me, and the, the situation is, is very powerful, it was too much for him to comprehend. He put himself on the floor, and suddenly, one having the likeness of sons of men, touch my lips, Whenever we hear one having the likeness of a son of man, it means mean our Lord Jesus Christ. Touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrow have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. What is he saying? When the angel touched his lips, sorry, when our Lord Jesus Christ touched his lips, he started speaking. And the first question he came, Daniel asked, he told him, God, how can people speak to you? He's almost asking the angels, you're standing in front of God all the time. How do you speak to God? In the real presence of God, when humanity understands itself fully, with all its weakness, we are in a complete awe that we cannot utter a single word without 
him touching us. He, because Daniel was overwhelmed, because Daniel saw certain things, he looked not at the events, but he said, how can you stand in front of God? It's overwhelming. And then also he said, it's not only the presence of God that's overwhelming, the amount of things that have been revealed to me have been overwhelming. But he have seen visions before. Visions had no impact on him as much as this. He said, I could barely breathe. What had more impact on him is seeing the Lord himself. I felt, when I was reading this, I said, if I truly understand I'm in the presence of God, truly who he is, even though God is full of love and compassion, but if he would reveal to us his might, his power, who he is, I don't even know what I would say. It would be such a, a moment that you don't know what to say. You will truly arise for the first time, I don't know how to speak to God. Then again, the one having the likeness of men, Christ, touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved. I love this expression. God touches him and tells him, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And he said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. God touched him again. What it means that God touched him? It means he gave him power. He gives him understanding how much he is loved. He's telling him, you're my child. I love you. Don't worry. And then he gave him the beautiful greeting of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to you. You're safe. You're in my bosom. Blessings are upon you. I'm giving you my peace. You know, the one thing, the one thing that our Lord Jesus Christ promised the apostles he will give them, he told them, I'll give you peace. Why? They will be in prison. They'll be poor. They'll be hungry. They'll have nothing. They'll have serpents and scorpions and snakes and all these things attacking them. What do they need? Peace. People pay so much money to have peace. They can't have it. And that's why I want to tell you guys something. Be careful because the gifts of God are precious. Do not just take it and waste it. If God has given us peace, have given me peace, why would I go waste it? Why would I go pick on somebody and try to get into a fight or an argument and waste my peace? Why would I get into an idle conversation and waste my peace? The gifts of God are valuable. God told him, be strong. 
Be strong. The words themselves strengthen him. And then when he became strong, he says, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. God, now I'm able to listen. Because you have given me the power and the strength to stand in front of you. Verse 20, then he said, this is Gabriel, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to flight with the prince of Persia. When I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. So he, basically the angel is telling him, do you know why I came to you? Obviously this is a rhetorical question, he already knows. Gabriel, when he came, he told him, I'm coming to tell you the history. But he's telling him, you know why I'm coming to you? And he wake up, pay attention, because I'm going to tell you the details now. He's telling him, I don't have a lot of time. I have to go back. I have a warfare against the devil who's trying to fight the king of Persia. And he's telling him, after the king of Persia, who's going to rule over the world? Greece. So he's telling him, there'll be another demon who's fighting the king of Greece, and I will still have to fight again against the king of Greece. This war is ongoing. This war is, is ongoing. I love Daniel's relationship with the angel. The angel told him, I'm sorry, I have to go. I'm going to tell you something quickly, I'm going to come back. Such a, such a loving relationship. Such a, such a loving relationship. And this is extremely important in our relationship with heaven. We have a heavenly family that works for us and through us. And he said, obviously here he talks later on in chapter 11, we're going to talk a little bit more about the details he's talking about. But, when, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. What is the scripture of truth? It's a book that has all the historical events that will happen. And he's telling him, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So he's telling him, no one helps me, or I don't need anyone else, basically, that fights against the king of Persia except Michael. Basically, me and Michael are taking care of business, the angel. And the book of truth is a book designated with all, with all the events of history that will happen. It's almost like uh, Gabriel, Gabriel is telling Daniel like angel gossip. You know, I'm going to tell you the gossip, what's happening in heaven, you know. The only person that helps me really, Michael. You know, me and him are taking care of things. Such a, such a, a beautiful, wonderful relationship. To see how Daniel reached that level. Reached that level. Where he can see Jesus. The angels are so close to him. He saw Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And that's why Daniel, when he prays, when he fasts, it's a different prayer, different fast. He is somebody who knows God. Somebody who has a connection with God. That concludes chapter 10. Now we're going to go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, uh, just to give you a warning, chapter 11 and chapter 12 are a lot of historical details that happened. It's going to drive you almost surprised how small details the Bible will mention. And we have to merge this with a lot of historical events to understand what the Bible is talking about. But the basically, the scripture, the chapter 11, is split into three parts. Okay, the first part 
part is almost an introduction to the appearance of God. And then the second thing is a revelation of what happened in history between, the, between two different kingdoms, Egypt and Syria, and we'll talk a little bit about this, and then the conclusion of the secrets of God. So these are the three kind of uh, parts of, of, the, of, the, of the prophecy. We'll go through them one by one, because I want you guys to understand them, go through them slowly to understand the historical details and why this is significant. So we're going to start with the angel telling Daniel the details. Daniel is in the Persian Empire. Remember Babylon? Babylon fell. Persia came after Persia, Alexander the Great. Greece after Greece, the Roman Empire. So we're going to start going through this. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Who's talking? Gabriel, the angel. He's saying, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This was about 538. The angel, okay, he, he came to support Michael in his uh, warfare against the prince of Persia, the demon. So Gabriel telling him, Michael supports me and I support him. Because in the, first year of, in the first year of Darius, what happened? It was the decision, the decree, to order the Jews to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to their homeland. So that was not an easy decision for him to make. There was a lot of warfare against it. So he's telling him, me and Gabriel had to do some business there to allow this to happen. Now from verse 3 to verse 4, it is a little bit about what will happen between the Persia and, the, and, and Greece. So we'll go through them slowly. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all by his strength. Through his riches, he shall stir up, stir up all against the realm of Greece. So after Darius, there were three, there were four different kings. One whose name is Cambyses, uh, uh, one is Samerdis, one is Hystapes, both of Darius Hystapes, those three kings came right after each other. The fourth king, which is extremely important, which is their keys, the, the fourth king was actually very powerful, very rich. And not only very powerful, very rich, he actually formed an army of about two million people and he went to try to fight the people of Greece. So he's telling him after Darius, three kings will come who are very weak. One king who is very, very strong, very powerful, and this king will cause problems because once he started to go into Greece and try to cause war against them, that motivated Alexander the Great later on to retaliate against him. Retaliate against him. So, and by the way, King, King Xerxes, you will see him in the book of Esther. He's very rich. He had a lot of celebration. He used to have so many people over his house. People, he was feeding people for free. He was extremely great. He was extremely great. So here we see that what happened 
is God telling him between Persia and Greece, there are three kings that are going to come. The fourth is going to be very strong, but the fourth is going to try to cause problems with Greece. He's going to try to take them over, and that will cause a Greek king trying to come and to retaliate. Verse 3. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. A mighty king who shall arise, rule with a great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arised, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heaven, but not among his posterity nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others beside these. So what he's talking about, he's telling him once the Persian, once Xerxes tried to make war with Greece, now there's a new king in Greece, Alexander the Great. He will rise and when he will come and he will take over Persia and he'll be so powerful and God will let him do whatever he wants. And Alexander the Great, almost over 10 years, he took over the whole world. One of the most powerful people in history. And he ended up dying out of fever in, in Babylon in 323. And it's, it's wonderful to see that one of the greatest kings in history, he rose so quickly and fell so quickly. He rose so quickly and fell so quickly. And this is sometime what happens with the earthly pleasure, the earthly kingdom, the earthly rules. He died in his 30s. He didn't even get to enjoy what he was doing. War, war, war. Maybe from outside he seems so powerful and so great, but constantly lives in blood and bloodshed. And not only he lives in bloodshed, after he died, his kingdom was divided into four. And two of two his, his two sons, Alexander IV and Heracles, were both murdered. That's why he's telling him his own people are not going to have dominion. And they split the kingdom into four parts. Egypt, Syria, Greece, and Asia Minor. And by the way, that's a lesson for all of us. That the world is not lasting for anyone. This world is not lasting for anyone. No matter how powerful you become, the world flies by. The world flies by. And you might wonder, why is God telling Daniel Persia and then Greece and then Rome? And we heard it many, many, many times. He's telling him throughout all this time, the people of Israel have not repented. I keep giving them different tribulation, different ways to repent and connect with me and no answer. No response. They still have their hopes on, on people. And I'm showing them a great example, Alexander the Great was so powerful, fell in 10 years. They still don't learn. They still don't learn. 
Now from verse 5 to verse 20, this is where things becomes complicated. So I want you guys to follow along as much as you can, because this is a lot of history, and I want you to pay attention as much as you can. We said that after Alexander died, there are four different kingdoms, Greece, Asia Minor, Syria, and Egypt. Now from verse 5 to verse 20, we're going to care only about Syria and Egypt. Why? Because what's between the border between the kingdom of Syria and Egypt is Palestine, the beautiful land, the people of God, Jerusalem. So from verse 5 to verse 20, he's going to tell him what will happen, the war that will happen between Egypt and, 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 and Syria, and how this will affect Israel. Because he's trying to tell him all the details that will happen. He's telling him, also the king of the south. Who's the king of the south? Egypt. Shall become strong. And as well as the one of his princes. And he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be greater. Shall be a great dominion. So let's you know, de de decipher this. The kingdom of the south is Egypt. The kingdom of the north is Syria. And they had a long war between them until the Roman Empire came and took over. The kingdom of the South Egypt, we call it Ptolemy Kingdom, and the kingdom of Syria is Seleucus Kingdom. Okay? The king of the, he's telling him the king of the South Egypt, one of his commander, one of his commander, his name is Seleucus the first Nectar. He is one of the commander of Alexander the Great. He was appointed in Babylon. And later on, when the, the, one of the generals took over Babylon, he ran to Egypt. He served under Ptolemy. And after that general got weaker, he went back to Syria. And he became eventually the king of Syria. When he became the king of Syria, his kingdom became much bigger than the king of Egypt he used to work for. Okay, you guys see what's happening? So this guy used to work under the king of Egypt for some time. Then he went back to Syria and he founded the Lucius kingdom and he became much stronger than the king of Egypt. When he became much stronger than the king of Egypt, he was not loyal to the king of Egypt. There's constant wars between them. And this is nothing new in the world. You, you can't find loyalty in the world. You can have somebody who comes from your own people who you have taken in and you helped and you worked with and then he can go easily and become disloyal and become against you and turn against you once he has the chance. That's what's happening in the kingdom of the earth. And you're telling him, at the end of some years, they shall join forces. So after they've been fighting for some time, they shall join forces. For a daughter of the king of the south, the king of the south is Egypt, but Ptolemy, shall go to the king of the north, make an agreement, but he, but she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither, her, no, uh, neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begotten her, and with him who strengthened her in those times. So what's happening? They were fighting so much, Syria and Egypt, so what are we going to do? They said, okay, we're going to have a deal. We're going to have Ptolemy's daughter, her name is Bernice, Bernice. So they said, we're going to have Bernice marry the king of Syria. Okay? The king of Syria married her, and the whole idea is to bring peace to the land. Now they have marriage relationship. Marriage relationship. 
Now the problem is the king of Syria was married to another woman. Her name is Ludusia. So Ludusia, once she saw that the king of her husband married the, the daughter of the king of Egypt, what did she do? She killed her husband, she killed her, and she killed her son. This is what happened historically. So he's telling him here, what, what he's telling him, he's telling him they will join an agreement, they will have a forced agreement through marriage, and what's going to happen is, even this, it seems like it's going to work out, it's not going to work out. This whole marriage thing is not going to work out. And Lodicea became the ruler. Now, by the way, it seems like a lot of details, but, but a lot of these details help us to understand human interaction with each other without God. Human peace that happens is based on interest and not a lot of times purity of heart. I remember I was taking a class on what we call like uh, uh, just warriors, how we can have justice between different nations. And the definition of justice between different nations is basically the peace that can be produced by balancing the powers of these nations. That's the best the world can do. That's the best the world can do. That's why when we have peace with each other, we don't want to have the peace of the world. That's based on my interest in that person, based on what I can get from that person. I want to have peace based on love, based on purity. And by the way, this is a problem that happens in typical marriage. A lot of time when we marry, we look for wrong things. Here, they're marrying their daughter just because they want to have peace with another nation. That's all what they care about. Some people just marry truly just because they want to be related to a famous family or a rich family. Now the Bible sang him, but from a, from a branch of her roots, there is a root to this Bernice, the, 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 the one who is married and murdered, of her roots, one shall arise in his, in his place, who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, which is Syria, and deal with them and prevail. Bernice had a younger brother. His name is Ptolemy III. And between 246 to 221, he, he succeeded his father, and he, take, he took the throne of Egypt, and in retaliation of his sister, he attacked Syria with a great army, and the war lasted for about five years, okay? And during that time, uh, uh, the Ptolemy was, uh, was captured, and they looted uh, Seleucia, capital of Antioch. And Ludusia was put to death. The woman that murdered his sister was put to death. So his, his bro her brother came and retaliated. By the way, this is 500 years before these events happen. The Bible is talking about them in great details. And he shall carry their God, so this, her, her young brother, who took over, Ptolemy III, he shall carry their gods when he goes to 
Syria. He will take their gods captive to Egypt with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold, and he should continue more years than the king of the north. Obviously, their mentality is so worldly. Yes, he's fighting for, for retaliation. He goes in, what he's trying to steal? The money, the gold, the gods. This is the human interest. Human interest is trying to steal the worldly things. Also the king of the north shall come to the king of the south, but shall return to his own hands. Basically he's, telling, he's saying that, I want you guys to keep following, okay? So this is all a war between the north and the south, Egypt and Syria. Israel is in the middle, they're constantly fighting. They're trying to come into agreement, there's always war between them. Now, the king of Egypt was very upset because his sister was murdered. He came and he fought Syria. Now, the king of Syria wanted to fight, but apparently, historically, they said that he tried, but it was so insignificant that historical events did not even mention it. So he's telling the king of North shall come to the kingdom of the south, but shall return to his own land. He came together and then even historically is not, is not mentioned. Okay? However, his son shall stir up a strife and assemble a multitude of great forces and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through and he, then he shall return to his fortress and stir up the strife. So what's happening? The king of Syria, Seleucius II died. He had sons, Seleucius III and Cernius and Antiochus III. So Lucius III was murdered, okay, and his brother Antiochus came with great power and great military success, and he's doing a campaign in Lebanon and Palestine to try to fight the king of Egypt, because they are on the border of Egypt. Okay, so after the king of Egypt showed that he's powerful, king of Syria tried to fight, he couldn't, now his children came, and when his children came, they said, you know what, we're going to rise a war against Egypt again. Now, be careful, these are brothers killing each other so they can reach, they can reach the kingdom. I'll tell you guys something so you guys don't fall asleep because there's a lot of details. As I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about this. Who is the role model to most of these kings? I think it's probably Alexander the Great. They probably see him as this great king who invaded the whole world over 10 years. And every one of them coming to become a hero. I want to be Alexander the Great. And we'll see later, once, for example, one of the kings of Syria was able, able to overcome Egypt, it's not like he stopped and he was happy. He says, okay, now time to go to Greece. So the role model they have in front of them is a role model that does not reflect what God wants from them. And a lot of time, we follow people blindly. Instead of, instead of seeing a role model and try to copy him or her in everything, I should ask God, what do you want me to do? Not what I want, I want to be like this guy because he's famous or he's, he's rich or all that stuff. So now we see that the children of the king of the 
of Syria, now they are trying to take over Egypt. He said in verse 11, and the king of the south, Egypt, shall be moved with rage and go out to fight them. The, king of the, the, the children of the king of Syria are coming and now they are camping in Palestine and they're trying to come to take over Egypt. So the king of Egypt is really angry. He's trying to go to fight them. What the king of the north? Like fight the king of the north. Who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hands of his enemy. So the king of Egypt brought in a lot of people, but he lost. By the way, in some historical data, it says that Ptolemy forces, the, the king of Egypt, had about 70,000 soldiers, 500 cavalry, and 73 elephants. And the, the Antiochus from Syria had 62,000 soldiers, 6,000 cavalry, and 102 elephants. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying for human greed. Hundreds of thousands of people dying for human greed. When he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. When he won, Ptolemy felt he was, became full of pride. And a lot of people, after they succeed in something in their life, they automatically assume it's because of their own strength. And he forgot, all this is written in the book of truth. All this is written in the book of the history of God. Nothing makes God not able to work with humanity as much as his verse. And he lifted up his heart. It says, For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years with great army and much equipment. He's saying that the king of Egypt left, felt he won, was so prideful, but the verse says, but the king of Syria will come and destroy him because he was prideful. Fifteen years later, 202, before Christ, Antiochus III came and invaded the Ptolemaic territories with a huge army. This is the main area of, of Palestine. And Antiochus III took full control of this area and uh, by, two, by 202, the fortress in Gaza had fallen also to Syria. Now the angel is still talking to Daniel. He says, now in those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south in Egypt. A lot of them will rise against the king. Also violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. I want to stop here at this verse to explain what's happening. There is constantly war between Egypt and Syria. Egypt and Syria. And both of them are oppressing the people of Israel. But what is the verse telling him? He's telling him, Daniel, some of your people, your own people, will rebel against the king of Egypt. Why? Because they think that the people of Syria are their savior. They will trust in the people of Syria. And little that they know, Antiochus Epiphanius, we're going to talk about him later, 
the one who desecrated the temple, the one who killed almost 60,000 Jews, he was a king of Syria. That's what happened when we trust in the people of God. Historically, some people say that a Jewish priest went to the king and asked if they can build an altar in the midst of Egypt. He's trying to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. That's what happened when everybody is trying to, when people try to fulfill the work of God on their own, without understanding, without allowing God to work. The Israelites will rebel against Egypt and they will support the Syrian, but little that they know that the person will show them the most difficult time will be from the Syrian army. Will be from the Syrian army. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege, mount and take a fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. One of the generals from Egypt engaged with Syria, and he lost at the battle in 1999. He retreated to Sodom, and the Antiochus forces pushed the Egyptians all the way and took over Sodom. Sodom, this is Sodom, Gaia, Sodom, and Gomorrah. It's a part of next to Israel. And he's completely surrendered in 1989, in, in, uh, in 198. But he who come against him shall do according to his will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with the destruction of his power. So the defeat of the Egyptian at Sodom. Antiochus will acquire complete control. This is not Antiochus Epiphanes. This is the one before him. Over Palestine. And the beautiful land is Palestine. And now he will have a control over it. And he will, uh, he will enter Jerusalem in, 90, in, 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 one, in 198. And actually he received a warm, a warm welcome from the people of Israel. They consider him to be a deliverer. A benefactor. They trusted in his false promises. And from that now on, from that point on, Israel went from the control of Egypt to the control of Syria. All this the angel is just trying to tell him, I am telling you what will happen to your people. All of this period, they are trying to build the temple, they are trying to build the walls, they are trying to have the worship, they are trying, all this, this is all happening as they as they're, the leadership over them changing. He shall set his face to enter with strength of his whole kingdom and upright, and upright once with him, thus he shall do. And he shall give him the daughter of a woman to destroy it, but he shall not stand with him or for him. What is he saying? Antiochus forced the Egyptian to get into a peace alliance with him. Because now he's powerful. He took a big part of Palestine and Lebanon, and now he's at the border of Egypt. Obviously, he's not strong enough to take over Egypt, but now he took the, war, the area that they're fighting over all the time. So to try to have a deal with each other, what did he say? You know, he said, I'm going to marry my daughter to you. So Antiochus told the king of Egypt, marry my daughter. This is Cleopatra, you guys, very well-known queen. 
And he said, I'm going to have her marry you. So hopefully later on, Cleopatra, when she becomes, when, you know, when she gets more power, then Egypt will follow Syria. But Cleopatra loved her husband and she supported the Egyptian cause. That's why he's telling him, and he shall give him the daughter of a woman to destroy it, but she shall not stand with him or be for him. Cleopatra, we're not gonna, she's not going to support her dad, but she is going to follow her husband in the land of Egypt. You see, I know this is a lot of historical details, but one, it's wonderful how the scripture talks about if a very small detail that will happen, and the whole world is concerned with the war that's happening, the whole heavenly world is concerned with the whole, with the war that's gonna happen over the small land of Israel. This is where the Messiah is coming. Now, after the king of Syria, you know, he married his daughter to the king of Egypt. He feels like, you know, I got the border secured. My daughter now is married to the king of Egypt. Now I have, I have more power. So after this, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall take many, but a ruler shall bring the reproach against him to an end and with the reproach removed and he shall turn back on him. What does that mean? Obviously, after Antiochus felt, okay, no, the kingdom of, uh, of Alexander was split into four. Syria now is under his control. Egypt now is following him because he thinks his daughter will do her magic. Now he's trying to go to another area, the coastlands. Let me look at Europe. But Huba is standing across, who came after the Greeks? The Romans. The Roman government in 1991, the Roman with the Greek allies, they went and they fought him. They sent him 30,000 Roman troops and they fought Antiochus into Asia and defeated him. And he had to go back and retreat. And they actually forced him to a, a, a treaty uh, in, 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 uh, in 188. And the Syria king was ordered to surrender a lot of territory, much of his army force, and, he, and, 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 and some of his army were, were held hostage, and he was ordered to start paying a lot of taxes to Rome. Because of his greed, and because he always wants more, now he was defeated, and now he is a subject to Rome. He has to actually follow them. We'll take one more verse and continue next time. Then he shall turn his face toward the fortress of his land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. Antiochus, when he went back, now he has to pay a lot of money. Where is he going to get the money from? He's tried to actually take the money from his people. He tried to sack the temple of Zeus, and then a mob came and attacked and killed him. This is, this is what, uh, what happens when we follow our own greed. So now, just a quick review before we finish. Now we see that Gabriel is telling Daniel, I'm going to tell you all the de details will happen. After Darius the king, there are three kings that will rise after him. The fourth one, Persian, he will be very strong. Xerxes, he's going to fight the Greek. The Greek will retaliate. A great king will form from the Greek, Alexander the Great. He was very powerful. He took over the world. However, after he died, his two sons were murdered. His kingdom was divided over four places. What the Bible is interested in, the war between Syria and Egypt. Syria, Egypt in the south, Syria is in the north. Egypt is Ptolemy, the north is Seleucus. And this war 
went on for many years and what's happening in the middle is Israel is in the middle. That's what's happening. And all that God wants throughout this is for the people of Israel to start repent. To start to go back to him. And that's why Daniel, he says, when I saw the vision, I was overwhelmed. There's so much that's happening. I want you guys, when you look at this list chapter, I want you to feel how significant you are. Each one of us is Israel. And the world is moving around us. And God is trying to reach a message to each one of us. Michael and Gabriel and the Satan and they're fighting and king of Persia and all the stuff. For what? When the Messiah will come. When the people of God will go back. When people will repent. When the kingdom of heaven will be formed. All these historical details are in the hands of God. God reigns in the midst of human corruption, human greed, human violence, in the midst of all this blood. God reigns. We can have so much impact on the world through our prayers and through our faithfulness with God than any possible action we can do. Unfortunately, our world is trying to turn us into an activist. But the greatest active activity we can do is in my bedroom with God. He's the one who can change the hearts. He's the one who can change the minds. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.